Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston, I'm your host, and we're recording this episode on a Friday morning, just two days after Manchester United crashed out of the Carabao Cup with a really, really poor performance against Newcastle. They lost 3-0 at Old Trafford. Uh, another disappointing display from Eric Ten Hag's side. And in this podcast, we're going to look into that performance. Basically, another inquest, unfortunately, after the Manchester City game. Uh, discuss what it means for Eric Ten Hag's future and look ahead to the weekend because, of course, they are playing Fulham as the early kickoff on Saturday. And to join me in this podcast, our Chief United Correspondent, Samuel Locker. Samuel, how are you? Not bad, thank you. You did a very good job saying all that with a straight face. <laughs> I've told <laughs> you. Given your allegiance. Completely professional. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, Samuel, as I've said, it is another inquest. We sat here on Monday after the Manchester City game. Um, and we went on for 15 minutes and got really sunk our teeth into that. Here we are doing the same again against Newcastle. A really poor performance, as I said in my intro. Oh, I mean, that first goal, where you saw it? It was just so poor. And there's really pressure mounting on Eric Ten Hag now. It's so bad a former Manchester City player uh, who was on media duty was getting wound up by how bad United were. Uh, Neda Manure, who... Is a very articulate um, you know, Manchester uh, lad who, who came through City's academy and does a lot of media work these days. Uh, I actually caught him celebrating Ilkay Gundogan's first goal uh, at the FA Cup final in the press box, which isn't great, of course, not press box it's etiquette. But he, uh, speaking to a colleague who, who was sat near him, uh, they said he was getting just wound up to high heaven by how how abysmal United were. So that's again when. When Arsene Wenger is feeling sorry for you, uh, when a former City player is getting wound up by how bad you are, that's how bad it is. And as soon as the first goal went in, I don't think anyone of the United persuasion in that stadium felt that there would be a comeback, uh, that they would recover from that. Newcastle were brilliantly backed with with their following, uh, which made it a really good atmosphere. Sometimes with those League Cup ties, they're better atmospheres than the FA Cup, even though the FA Cup's the more romanticised competition but I was just I was struck one by the, the team Ten Hag picked um, just too frivolous which is a departure from the norm uh, for him he, he usually doesn't rotate en masse pick strong teams you could say that is a strong team I, I would argue that any team that has Anthony Marshall up front is is blunt immediately and, and he was he was abysmal again I mean just even at nil-nil, some of the 
the infighting, frankly, between the players like Anthony turning and having a pop at Dallow when he'd overhit a pass, Marshall throwing his hands in the air. Um, I think Maguire and <coughs> Diop had a had a bit of a pop at Dallow as well, and look, Dallow was a walking disaster in that half, and, and absolutely had to come off at, at half time. But there's just no harmony in that team at the moment. Uh, they they're not united in in any sense of the word. They've just got problems in literally every position. I mean, I wrote yesterday how they're morphing into that David Moyes tweet from ten years ago. When Said that on the podcast a few weeks ago. I know, I know. They are, they they are pretty much bad at everything at the moment. They're bad at defending. They're bad in midfield. They're bad at scoring goals. They're not even scoring goals. And we're in this cycle again where it does feel like the manager, there's no way back for him. But this does feel this does feel very different to to previous managerial uh, changes that United presided over when it did feel like it was the final days for for the manager with with Ten Hag. I don't think the game's up yet, but he is. I mean, he's he's, he's going towards the end game. The way it's going, uh, it's it's just not sustainable. With five five defeats at Old Trafford alone this season, um, they've conceded three goals against four of those opponents. Crystal Palace haven't won a game since they won at Old Trafford, and that was in what was it, late September? I think it was. It was yeah. So that it wasn't even quite October yet. You could you could talk all day about how how bad United are at the moment, and unfortunately for them, they've they've not finished this squad rebuild under Ten Hag, and already it feels like a new rebuild is required. And if you're to have a new rebuild. Normally, that means a new manager coming in. I think the caveat with this one is that Ten Hag has banked quite a lot of goodwill with the supporters. I don't get the sense that the matchgoers have turned on him yet. I've not seen any of us who go to Carrington every week, who go to the games every week, who've written a piece yet that he should be sacked. We had written that piece by the time, by this time two years ago with, with Solskjaer while he was still clinging on. But I still don't. I think it's gone too far, unfortunately, for Ten Hag, that he's going to make United a, a, a true credible force. So there's an argument. That's an argument itself that people may say, well, what's the point continuing with him? But unlike with previous managerial changes, as I alluded to earlier, there is not a clear candidate to come in. And also, why would you? I mean, I'm sure some people would mention Roberto De Zerbi, but he'd probably go the way of Graham Potter at Chelsea, another basket case of a club. So it's without wanting to get too far ahead of ourselves because there's you know the aspects of the game to dissect as well. I I really don't think Ten Hag should be sacked, but I, I am struggling to see how it gets better anytime soon. We'll look into that a bit more, and I think in the second part. Um, but I mean the unwanted records just stacking up, as you've said, they've lost five of the ten home games. That's the first time since 1931. They've made their worst start of the season since 1962, and it was Newcastle's biggest away win at Old Trafford for 93 years. I mean. Some of the stats this season, some of the unwanted records are just sober and reading. Tumbling, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. Um, let's just get into the individual performances then. I mean, you mentioned Dallow in your first answer. It was a disaster class, I think it's fair to say. That first goal, Ganacho uh, gets tussled off the ball. Um, Livermento breaks forward. Mount, he's a bit of a ghost. You just can't get yeah, near Yeah, it's a hologram. Yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, Dallow as well, the positional awareness was just completely lacking. Almiron shouldn't have got there. He's a right winger as well, and he's been playing the left, and he finishes. And Dallow was brought off at half-time, which really wasn't a surprise. I've always said on the podcast, I've had doubts over Dallow's defensive abilities, and that was exposed again the other night, wasn't it? He will not be starting at Fulham tomorrow, I think it's safe to say. It would be, 
it would be pretty amazing. Wan Bissaka looked quite good at you when he came uh, he, Well, at two 0 in the second half, he thought if United got a goal, that there might have been something to to cling on to there. Uh, but you know, that's uh, it's it's like the Alan Partridge quote: "Still good news about the chocolate oranges." You know, with 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 Wan Bissaka coming back in, but Dallow's form all year has been really poor, and. He got a new contract on the back of five mediocre months. He's he's got worse since he got that contract. I think also the thing about the, the I mean Gary Neville was saying this dressing room isn't a bad set of of lads, and I, I do agree to an extent. But my goodness, they do have some you know some selfishness about them. And you look after not even twenty four hours after that Newcastle defeat. Uh, Dallow shared an Instagram story about oh here's my goal of the season sorry goal of the month contender against Sheffield United uh, what United fan looks at that and thinks oh yeah I really want to see that oh I, I like that uh, a proper United fan I mean not someone who just taps the heart icon in, in an instant on Instagram and that just winds up fans uh, Marcus Rashford on his birthday I mean one he had a party after the derby which it's just a no-no anyway, as, as we spoke about on, on Monday's podcast. But his post on Tuesday about, was it striking fear and uh, being a menace? I'm thinking, you've got one goal in 13 games for United this season. Uh, where's the self-awareness? But if it's going to you know, fuel the brand, if it's going to get, if it's going to shift some boots, if it's going to get some likes on Instagram, they're all for it. And that's the modern generation. But you've got to pick and choose your moments. I go back to when, when Andrew Herrera was at United, he, he had a sponsor's engagement scheduled for um, post-match, I think it was, against Middlesbrough. I'm pretty sure it was New Year's Eve. And he said, before the game had even started, he said, I'll do it if we win. If we lose, I don't want to do it. Or if we draw, I don't want to do it. That is absolutely the right mentality to have. It doesn't matter what generation you are, you've just got to have your head screwed on with those things. A lot of these United players their heads are falling off um, metaphorically whether it's off the field on the field and I'm, I'm in terms of individual performances I mean that's an easy one that you make at the weekend it's Dallow out Wan-Bissaka in but Ten Hag is scrambling for solutions and he is someone who doesn't know what the solution is at the moment there were more half-time changes the other night fair enough the Casemiro one was enforced but when it happened at the time I think a lot of us sensed He's just hooked him because he's been dreadful again. And that's that's two games running for Casemiro with United where he's come off at, at half-time and he was he was abysmal against Brentford and that, that was tactical. OK, the other night it, it was enforced. But I just... I look, I, when I looked at that team, I just thought, having after everything we said on Monday about turning the page, put players in who can you know implement the style and get you playing in the way that you want them to play... And then you see Marshall on the team sheet. And that that in itself is an argument not to sack Ten Hag because the prospect of Anthony Marshall outlasting another Manchester United manager would be a scandal. This is someone who, who's, who allowed his agent to undermine Jose Mourinho, who, uh, whose agent, the day before Mourinho was sacked, said, oh, I'm pessimistic about Anthony Marshall signing a new contract. Mourinho sacked the next day. That's December 18th, January 31st. Anthony Marshall gets a new five-year contract. So they changed their tune pretty quickly. This is also a player who Ralph Rangnick said refused to play against Aston Villa in January 2022. He shouldn't still be at the club. And he really does epitomise 
everything that is rotten about Manchester United as far as the playing staff goes. He shouldn't, be, shouldn't have been starting that game the other night. But that's the poor planning of United. They signed a striker in the summer who's too callow, who's an unknown quantity, who's not got a good enough goal-scoring record. He's trying his heart out. He's got a good connection with the fans, but he's not got someone to ease the burden on him. Like, I mean, Hoyland's profile is the same as Javier Hernandez in 2010. When Hernandez came in, that squad had Berbatov and Rooney as strikers. Seasoned, Premier League proven, experienced. And it, and it worked out brilliantly. They won the title that season. United just do not have that dynamic there at the moment. Uh, Mason Mount, that, that's a mismatch him and Casemiro. The video of him going around at the end of the game and he's applauding supporters. Yeah. I think Chelsea fans have picked that yeah, up quickly and said he, used to do he that. always used yeah. to do at Stamford Bridge. And look, you don't want to knock him for doing that because he, he, he could have, you know, they could have been yeah. lobbing tomatoes at him or lettuce uh, or what have you. Maybe, maybe not cabbages. this day and age. Cabbage, you know, where Steve Bruce, you had to bring him up, didn't you? Or allude to him at least. But, I, you know, you don't want to give him too much of a whipping for that. But it's, you know, it's something that Chelsea fans are pointing out that I certainly wasn't aware of. And you do start to wonder, well, is, is that just doing it for your own self-interest? But I, I, I don't think Mount is a bad is a bad lad as such. I mean, he's, he's not exactly talking a great deal, but that, uh, there's a reason for that because he's, he's not playing. Has well, Mount not got the same problem? I wrote this article uh, two days ago as Jadon Sancho in the sense that he came to the club, Ten Hag wanted him to play a deeper midfield position. But which position is actually his best? He's probably best as a number 10. We know he played on the wing for Chelsea. He was effective there. He's yet to really hit the ground running in that role at United. Which area is he going to be used in? And I think that's a problem. I saw that with Sancho when we've discussed his minutes to goal ratio was so much better on the left. Yet yeah, he's playing on the right and he was kind of flipping between those sides. He was playing in the central position. And if you can't have a settled position and you, the manager doesn't know where you're best, you can't find rhythm or form, can you? And that's, I saw that with Mason Mount in these first few months. Where's he going to be best? I mean, he was, he was saying the players in number eight, but it's going to be, that's problematic, isn't it? I was speaking to a fan about this and they were saying that Mount, and I think he's former coach at Chelsea, who's now, I, for, I forgot his name, but he's, he's now with Tuchel at Bayern Munich and he gave a very good interview to the Sunday Times um, just over a month ago and he was adamant that Mount will be a success at United and he might not be as adamant about it now. But with Mount, the, the fan was saying to me that he seems to thrive in structures and he's got a similar player then, Fernandez, who seems to thrive in a team that plays in moments, which was the case in certainly Solskjaer's United. Um, last season, I think Fernandez you know, he adapted pretty well and he, he played out of position at times and had good impacts there. His form has fallen off a cliff this season, but people still look at Fernandez and they don't see a structured player, someone who's you know going to retain the pool. He's he's. It feels strange that once upon a time City looked at him because he seems like a massive mismatch to go into Pep Guardiola Manchester City side. But then again, it's ways you had to go into that team and really excel and kick on in a winning team and under Guardiola. Yeah, there's, there's, and that, that probably would have happened because City's recruitment hit rate is, is so good as well. And, and Guardiola is, is, is the best coach in the world. He's, he's, he's one of the greatest coaches ever. But those two players in the same eleven, it just doesn't feel that the balance is quite right there and, and something has to give. And OK, you're not going to play that way every week, but Mount already has been... He's played in midfield. He's play, He played on the right against Brentford. He certainly played as a number 10, maybe not in a competitive game, but he, he did certainly in pre-season. And if you bring in... If you say, we really need a midfielder in, they've got to be playing in midfield consistently. But I just think him and Casemiro... 
is a mismatch. And with Casemiro, as, as Ty has said before, it's getting to the point, and it's the same with Varane as well, that if, if you are Ineos coming in, if you are a new football director coming into the club, if you're John Murtu who's going to be sticking around, you want to be getting on the blow to Saudi Arabia next year because the, the wear and tear is starting to show them. I mean, Varane was... We were told he was ill the other night as well. Um, is that not a bit suspicious as well, Sammy? Some fans suspicious. will be suspicious of that. Um, yeah. I mean, ta- tactical to... reasons was the... Uh, that's what the explanation was, 10 hours before the derby. If you're Varane, if that is the genuine reason, you are going to be a bit grieved at that when Johnny Evans is starting ahead of you. Well, I mean, that's a separate story altogether with, with, with Johnny Evans. Uh, just in terms of the direction and the running of United, you know, Johnny Evans is... He's released by Leicester and someone says, oh, you, you live in Hale, come into training. Oh, do you fancy going on the preseason? But then tour? if you've run, oh, do you fancy you Evans start over you, it's, it's rougher for Yeah. Oh, do you fancy a start against Erling Haaland in Manchester Derby? Yeah. It's, uh, it, that, that is a, a jobs for the old boys uh, culture, which I thought United had eradicated. And it's, it's peculiar that it has happened Fested again. with yeah. Ten Hag. And in fairness to Evans, prior to the derby, I think he'd done pretty well in his starts against, was it Burnley, Brentford and, and Sheffield United? But it's Burnley, Brentford and Sheffield United. And then you're coming up against the best goalscorer in the world and the best team in the world. And he was shown up. And the inevitable happened. Yeah. yeah. It, and you, that, that defence was asking for it. At the moment, it, it just feels like they're, they're extremely limited as to what they can do defensively because Reguillon... Although, again, you know, he puts a shift in. There's a reason why Tottenham deemed him expendable and he was, what, the third choice left back there and he was sent out on loan to Atletico Madrid last season. And again, you know, the, the circumstances weren't great. United had a bad injury to Luke Shaw. They had to get someone in late in the day. Uh, they wanted Kukurea, uh, but then they had to move on to Reguillon. You know, they, they did the best they could. It's not ideal circumstances. But again, it, it's, it's another signing that is... is is, is, has not been successful so far and probably will not be successful as well. Well, that's a lovely little segue into Anthony then, um, because supporters, I mean, if they weren't sick of him last season, they're really tired of him this time around. 86 million investing in him. We talked about him on the podcast on Monday, um, and I suggested that could he be remembered as potentially the worst signing in, in United history? And it seems to be getting that way. I mean, Lewis Hall, left back, he's 19 years old. He had absolutely no trouble against them. Had him in his back pocket very, all game. Um, you had, obviously, Paul Dummett and Emil Kraft. Kraft has just returned, returned from, from a, 40 months Yeah, out, I think 40 months it? on the sidelines with a nasty knee injury. And, I mean, that's a championship pairing at best. That back four wasn't trouble the whole game. And Anthony was, was really terrible again. This, this might shock people listening, but when the teams dropped... Uh, a lot of people in the press room, and myself included, I, I even said I think United will win this because I looked at Newcastle's team and I just well, thought... Seven yeah. of those Newcastle starters haven't started a Premier League game this season and they won 3-0 at Old Trafford so comfortably as well. I mean, that's so damn it, isn't it? Yeah. Newcastle's fullbacks the other night would, would get into United's team easily at the moment. Newcastle are a very good example as of why the the sporting director, the director of football, wherever the, you want to assign the title, that appointment is becoming as key as a manager now. I said that Dan, after the takeover yeah. that Dan Ashworth would be potentially the most important thing. Yeah, of I think he's. I, I think at the moment he's, he's he's best in class as far as the the Premier League, um, the Premier League sporting directors go. He's got a very good track record. It's not just at Newcastle. He did a brilliant job at Brighton. He oversaw very good work at the FA. West Brom as West well. West Brom did, as yeah. well. So he's a very experienced chap, but he's, he's clearly going to be on a very good um, earner at Newcastle United. And 
they would be loath to, to lose him. I mean, I think that's a very tall order for United if they were to even try and, and poach him. I know um, Ineos with, with Nice and their sporting director, I think they got the guy in from it's either Lille or Lons and it was seen as quite a coup, but it's, it's very different in the Premier League, of course. And I mean, Livermento was, I mean, he looked very good at Southampton and I think the potential was there. And it's, it's a strange, strange thing with Chelsea because they have let some very good fullbacks go in, in recent years. I thought Lewis Hall was terrific when I watched him. He was one of the few shining lights in Chelsea's season last season, but they sold him. And I, I'd, I'd certainly have him in over Chilwell. And I think it's a matter of time, as, as you said, until he ousts Dan Byrne in the Newcastle team. And that's just good. That's good planning. And how, they, they had quite a full, few fullbacks in their team the other night as well, didn't they? Newcastle. I think it was but, five, five fullbacks. Yeah, but in, it, in the, you, side. The, the, the tactics worked, and no recognised striker as well. Anthony no, Gordon playing down the middle. No, and this this was a team as well. That the previous week they they hadn't won either of their games. Uh, you know, disappointment against Dortmund. Uh, I suppose they were disappointed as well not to have won at Wolves, given the way the scoring went in that game. But they they turned up United with essentially a second string and. There was confidence about them. There was a vibrancy about them. When they went 1-0 up, it was deserved because they were by far and away the more assertive and confident side. Uh, you felt it from the backing they had in, in the stands. And, and really, it played out like a, like a you know, uproarious night at St James's Park uh, for them with, with 7,000-odd uh, Geordies uh, supporting them as well. It was... I mean, that, that United were effectively reduced to an away team on their own patch for the, the second game running. And... Again, like harking back to Solskjaer's final weeks, some of the chanting that was going on from away fans, like I think Leeds, City, Liverpool fans, they were all they're all chanting Ole's at the wheel. Um, Sol, like Solskjaer must stay. Might have been another one as well. Ten Hag is starting to cop similar treatment, and when that starts to happen, and if it's coming from one of your biggest rivals, in the case of City. Uh, then again, some, some might hear that and think that there, there can't be any way back for him. But I, I maintain, I'd say the the bigger there are bigger problems at United, and the, there are just some players there that supporters, even as journalists covering them, we, we we're sick to our back teeth at the sight of them because we've seen it all before. We've had their number for a number of years, but United, they're still at United and they're still playing for them. It was the first time this season you're getting sacked in the morning was brought out to Eric Tenag, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Correctly. Yeah. Brentford fans might have, I can't quite remember clearly, but it was, that was certainly the, the clearest yeah. and the loudest that has been chanted. Uh, we'll be back in a moment for part two, but that's it for part one. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast now. I'm going to start this part, Samuel, by yes. you're going to give a little expansion on your line today. Was it today or yesterday that there was increasing unrest among United players uh, after that result, of course? So I think it was yesterday, wasn't it, actually? Yes. That, that was. Yeah. So could you expand on that, please? This, again, this, this always happens when things start to spiral. Uh, I did a story slightly similar to it in, in September. And there are, I was told there was, I mean, there's one player in particular who's who's unimpressed, not just with the state of the club, but also um, Ten Hag's handling of him. Um, the players have been growing weary with criticism. The infighting has, infighting vertical comments, if you want to call it, in terms of, we'll call it bickering, that you see on match days, it, it can be a bit more, frankly, quite bitchy among the, the players as well. 
there's there's a strange bitchiness about Manchester United players um, towards each other. Like this, you know, footballers will talk publicly about, oh, it's great to have competition, but privately they say very, very different things. And there are doubts about Ten Hag now. Um, I mean, his, his tactics, the, the, the Brighton game was one where I think it, it, you know, a lot of players were starting to look at it and think, you know, where are we going here, changing these tactics so so swiftly, um, so quickly on, on, on the eve of a game. They felt they were in an invidious position that day. And not a lot has really changed in terms of United's performance level. Um, they, they are playing in more a settled structure. I call it a structure, settled formation. Yeah, uh, but again, this this happens. I mean, I've I've no idea, and I don't really care if if supporters get wound up of of, of negative coverage. But we, our job is to find out what's what's going on. And at the moment, a lot is going on at Manchester United, and it's not it's not happy news because they're losing a lot of games. They're nine points off the top four, they're out of the League Cup, they're in danger of going out of the Champions League, having lost two of their first three games. It's it's not going to be positive PR, I think it's safe to say, that that is how it works. And a lot of colleagues have, have done similarly themed stories as well about um, the, the, the crisis United are mired in at the moment. And yeah, I, I, I don't really understand why some fans think that it's outrageous that journalists write that way. I mean, it happens in, in politics, certainly. Some people don't understand journalists are not cheerleaders, they're journalists, they're there to do the jobs. Into yeah, journalism isn't a popularity contest. I think there are one or two who think it's a popularity contest who will remain uh, unnamed. But in, in the case of those one or two, I've, I've certainly never seen them in a, in a press box. They, they operate in a very different way and they, they do do it for the... Um, for the attention and the, and they do want the popularity and you know, that's that's their choice but when you're covering a club and you're going to the games and you're seeing with your own eyes what the hell is going on and you're trying to find out as much as possible what's going on behind the scenes as well you are duty bound to report that and it's it's similar in other um you know other areas of of, of news like politics in the uk over the last decade or so what a tumultuous time that has been and yeah, the, the best, the, the most striking news stories um, are, are all about you know, where it went wrong for Liz Truss during a 44-day reign when she lasts as long as, as Brian Clough at Leeds and things like that. And, you know, something has gone wrong there and you want to find out why it went wrong and how it went wrong. And that's the essence of, of journalism. But also, uh, I, I, I actually had a conversation with a United player's father about this last season because he wanted to speak to me about something that he deemed was negative. And I actually said to him, did you read this feature I wrote on your son? He hadn't. And I said, that was, this was the headline. This was how positive it was. Did you read this feature? No, no. So the irony is, is that they will, you know, a lot of fans or parents or players or even players sometimes, they'll home in the negative and they will completely, completely overlook the amount of positive pieces that you've written about them. I actually told a Manchester United player who had a pop at me um, outside the team coach at Southampton last year. I said, I have criticised and praised everyone on that bus because he said to me, and I said, I said to him, look, I, you know, I take that as a compliment in a way. He said, you're the only name that gets brought up about negative coverage. And that's the position you're in because if I'm going to literally every United game and covering them as minutely as, as, as I am and as you are as well, where we have to write pieces pretty much 
for every day of the week, then it's going to get a lot more attention than some of our colleagues who, who cover United and cover City or, or don't um, have as intense demands on us. I'm not saying they don't have intense demands to extend because you know United at the moment, there's a hell of a lot of coverage about it. But the, the extent we're, of the we're, we're the, man we're yeah. the mainstreaming news, and you know we only t we only cover two clubs in essence, really, which are United and City, and everyone knows how scrutinised and how much traction Manchester United get, and that's just the that's the the hand we've been dealt. And I tell you what, the Talking City podcast before we just came in, man, it was nice and rosy, wasn't it? The, the Man City it, it must talking be, on that podcast it, over it, there. It, it must be. It must go <laughs> swimmingly for for yeah. Cy Bykowski, Yeah. Um, I mean, we've talked about the, the dressing room and wrestling there, Samuel. Um, but I mean, we've saw this film before. It's the exact same script. Happens time and time again, regardless of, of who is in charge. So with Mourinho, so with Solskjaer, we're now seeing it with Ten Hag, where these players are turning against the manager. Um, and it just can't keep on happening. You said about Martial, it would be a scandal if he outlasted another manager. Um, look, Ten Hag's not blameless, we've covered that to the nth degree. There's so much wrong at the moment, tactics, recruitment, etc. But the players are not delivering. We've just talked about Newcastle having seven starters who haven't started a Premier League game. There's enough talent on that pitch to beat Newcastle. It's just not good enough. They had the well, those Newcastle players had the hunger uh, to. They were everything want to Manchester themselves. United aren't at the moment, aren't they? That, that yeah. dressing room at Newcastle. I mean, jo Joe Willock is a is a pretty decent footballer, but he's he's obviously not a starter for Newcastle um, anymore because of the the recruitment they've made, I, I suppose, and uh, certain players coming in. But he, by God, by God, did he take his chance the other the other night? And I get it when when things are, are not going well. It's very easy to see how you know players can succumb to pressure, and that one mistake it, it can lead to a goal. And you think, God, the weight of the world is is on my shoulders here, and and they really feel it. But you've got to snap out of it. And if you're at Manchester United, you've got to think there's a reason for that, and you've got to show it as as often as possible. Is there something culturally just wrong in that dressing room? I mean, you've talked about so, the yeah. players that have been there for what seven, eight years. You just need to not fumigate it, just overhaul it all, just start again. I mean, even players like Rashford or Fernandes, who have been fantastic for the club, I guess they've all contributed to this problem over the last seven years, six years. Even this, the, the good performers, the standout performers, there's just something so wrong for me within the club. I think Fernandes got a bit of stick off the derby from some fans because they suggest that he didn't applaud them as, as he went off. Um, I mean, Rashford, in terms of the choice of having a party on the night of the derby, I mean, it, that would have been arranged weeks in advance. He would have known it would have fallen on the derby. He would have also known, looking at it objectively, there was a high probability United were going to lose that game. And also, there was also ch a chance that he was he was going to get photographed. Now, he actually didn't get photographed. He, he, managed to find, um, he, he managed to hide from them, but there's still no hiding place from it. Everyone knows he was there. And we're speaking ahead of the press conference. I guarantee you, as bad a week as United have had, that question will get asked at Carrington today. Because if, if Ten Hag wants to be selfish about it, and it might not be the right way or the constructive way of going about it, but if he wants to divert attention away from him, he could very easily do it with that. And it'll be interesting to see how he, how he goes about it and how he handles it. But there's too much self-interest, as I just touched upon him in Diogo Dallo, who is not a bad lad, um, like he's very polite, uh, he's, he's you know, I mean, he, one of the few players has actually talked to us this season as well. He's 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 been overworked, I think, in in that sense, if not overworked on the pitch. But it's sometimes you, you just need 
someone to oversee things and be completely objective and say, look, that's not a good look. It might just be an Instagram story. It might disappear in 24 hours, but people will clock it. There might be a website out there that will do something on it and it will go on from there and it's bad publicity for you, even though you're looking for good publicity. Even if someone said that, it's just not, do you not just think they might not care? Yeah, just, it, there's, there's, you, there is nothing you can gain out of that. You've just, been, you've just had a dreadful first half. You've been hooked at half time. Nobody cares about your goal against Sheffield United that the goalkeeper should have saved. And it seems like a really minor thing, but, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm singling out, I'm singling out a player who's, yeah. who is in essence, a, 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 as I said, he's a, he's a good character. He's not a bad lad at all whatsoever. There's, I've, I've written how, how uh, you know, what a, what a good personality is and what a good presence he is and when he is on it, when he is performing, but he's not been performing. And he's not the only one who's done that. There have been lots of players at United through the years. And um, again, a, a, a supporter, season ticket holder, was telling me that he, he feels like the ramifications of the Sanchez deal are still being felt because where his wages were elevated, that meant the next year David De Gea's had to rise. And then other players will want parity or close to parity. Um, and it's not a coincidence in the case of Dallow and, and Rashford. They've had new contracts earlier in the year and their form has got worse since then. I don't think you can just dismiss that. And it seems like United are the only high profile club that when they dole out these contracts, the players become demotivated. Um, you know, they, they've got to wonder why that is. I, I, I said, um, I think last summer, I think I said that they should stop with this whole five year contract. You should, you should cap it more at four years keep players on their toes, make them earn it a little bit more. And it's easier said than done, and you're in, a, you're in a bargaining position, you're negotiating, you want a player to stay. If it means just giving him one more year, okay, so be it. But it's the appearance of it is can be quite damaging. But but again, that comes from the top, doesn't it? It's it a, does, it's a structural yeah. Thing. Yeah, and everyone knows, we've not mentioned the Glazers, but we don't need to. Everyone knows that they are the biggest problem at the club. Nobody is pretending otherwise, but I guarantee you when Diogo Dallo is dawdling and Miguel Amaron is, is out sprinting him, he's not wondering, is Sir Dave Brailsford um, going to be the director of football next year? Uh, is Sir Jim Ratcliffe going to be sat in the stands watching me and want to sign a new right back? That will be the furthest thing from those players' minds. They, I actually think some of them won't even care about the takeover situation particularly much. Uh, well, it's, it's a non-takeover situation. But I just look at that squad and I look at some of the players and I just... just How are you um, still? Yeah, basically is the yeah. essence of it. Um, we'll go back to Tenag then. I mean, if you look at the, the odds and the possible replacements, I mean, Zinedine Zidane, Hansi Flick, Graham Potter, you mentioned, Roberto De Zerbi, Nagelsmann, Carrick and Conte. I mean, that is not an inspiring <laughs> list. And that's a problem within itself. You discussed the kind of boom-bust Manchester United cycle in the first uh, section. I mean, if you're going to sack Ten Hag, there's nobody to come in. No. And even if there is, someone's going to come in. It's going to be an upturn of results. Key players will rediscover a bit of form. It'll go on for a season and the same problems will happen again. And I guess that's an argument to keep Ten Hag because this cycle has to end at some point. The club's in purgatory. Whenever there's been a managerial change at United, and including when Ferguson stepped down, when he was retiring, there was always an outstanding candidate. With Ferguson, it should have been Mourinho. He aired badly. Guardiola. Picking Moyes. 
Guardiola, we would have no, been that, I maintain that was like that was like the Labour Party deciding <laughs> that you know Ed Miliband should get should be made leader. That was the bacon sandwich's fault though. Uh, well, in the case of uh, his brother, when he ate the sandwich. But yes, you're right. That it should, a, it should have been election. David Miliband in the first in the first place. But yeah, it was it should have been Mourinho when Moyes was sacked. They could have. It was almost like they had the pick of the lot. Really, there were so many candidates that Klopp was the fans' favourite. But by that time, they'd lined up Van Gaal, so there was clearly a choice there. When Van Gaal, I mean, Van Gaal should have been sacked in the December of 2015. Mourinho had to come in. Uh, he eventually did in the May. When Mourinho was sacked, everybody assumed it would be Pochettino sooner or later. It didn't work out for Pochettino. When Solskjaer was sacked, again, Pochettino was, seemed like the, the obvious uh, choice sooner or later. And Ten Hag was also a credible candidate. And there were others as well. I mean, before Solskjaer was sacked, I think Brendan Rodgers would have had quite short odds because he was doing quite well at Leicester. But then, yeah, the timings didn't work out for him and he's, he's ended up at Celtic again. This time, there is just, there's no one, whether they're attached to a club or unattached, who screams Manchester United material. I mean, I'm sure there are some online fans who are saying, oh, get Zidane in as if that's a can constructive Can I throw a left-field name? I mean, he's not been sacked yet and he's far from it. I think, well, not far from it, but I think he'll survive until the November national break, at least. We'll discuss that uh, in, a, in a moment. But Kieran McKenna, Ipswich. See, it's brilliant to the listeners of the I'm podcast. Not, I'm not surprised that you've mentioned mention him. I mean, he's, he's doing a great job. At Go on Ipswich. YouTube and check Samuel's faces out sometimes when I say things to him because it's no. I, he's he, he had a he had a very good reputation at United. He had a very good reputation at, at Tottenham when he was the, the youth team coach there, and he's doing a it's is a genuinely great job at Ipswich. If he was to get, having gotten promoted last season, if they were to get promoted to the Premier League, they've been out of the Premier League since since two thousand and two. And, and they were in it for you know a fair few seasons when it when it was incepted in '92. In so this is a long time out in the top flight. If he oversees that, that is a tremendous job. And you could argue, well, he's he's got the know-how at, at United, and that he he spent a lot of time there. But you need a you need a bigger character of, of manager, I think. And and, and you need the problem is, is just not a name. I mean, Zidane would be that name, I guess, who is a big character. Which, but he's not exactly. Ta- is he tactically? It's such a good enough with, Manchester United. He's look when they sat Solskjaer, Zidane was available, and they didn't go near him. And although Cristiano Ronaldo would have liked them to have and was lobbying very much on Zidane's behalf, they didn't. And I mean, I don't, I don't think for a single second United should ever go near Zidane. The squad he inherited at Real Madrid was one of the best squads in. 20, in the 21st century there's been in, in club football it just seemed like someone needed to babysit that squad yeah they, it they did going to yeah, do well yeah, yeah. and you, you're personable and he was a great player and he had great players and there was just this you know they were kindred spirits and he had the, one of the well he had the greatest goal scorer of all time he had one of the best midfields ever brilliant defenders and if everyone was performing the chances are they would win things and they did and they were very consistent about it winning three European Cups in a row and can't complain about that no no <laughs> and it's staggering but there's a reason why the coach who's won three European Cups in a row has not coached at another club or I mean there's been some there's been some chat about him maybe taking over as France national um, that would feel right in my well. opinion like, yeah it would but him at Manchester United no he at Manchester United, you're going to have to build a squad. He never had to build a squad at, Man- at Real Madrid. Uh, he just inherited a great squad that was disenchanted from playing under Rafael Benitez. 
and it was just a you know have the personal touch uh, stroke their egos you know give you know tell them how great they are and see look at the greatness that they'll they'll give you i'm i'm sure it was a little bit more complicated than that but certainly the way real madrid went about their business it it was very uncomplicated and if they did need bailing out ronaldo would have an overhead kick or gareth bale would Casemiro score the was greatest still absolutely world European class then cup well. final goal ever it, it, it was it was an it was a enviable squad squad to inherit and he managed it perfectly as far as the champions league campaigns went and um, he, he went back there and they weren't as successful. And you, you saw with the choice of replacement there and Carlo Ancelotti from Everton, that Real Madrid is quite a unique club in that if you're this laissez-faire coach who um, was a great player, who has a very good rapport with, um, with very good footballers, that, that suits that club very well. As I said, Ancelotti was borderline in the doldrums by Munich players wanted him out because they thought his training wasn't intense enough. So that's why you need a specific manager for a specific club. Now, United, I think, with Ten Hag, they needed a disciplinarian. They got a disciplinarian in. I don't think they should renege, renege on that as as quickly as some think they should at the moment because this club cannot go back to Katow into player power. And I know every club, when they're in a downward spiral and things are going badly, it's always the manager who pays the price. And United will be no different. Um, but I, I think United just need to suck it up at the moment. They need pers- key personnel changes at the top. They need to revoke Ten Hag's autonomy on recruit- recruitment as well, have a more objective specialist overseeing that, and then you know see see where they go from there. And if Ten Hag's not the right fit, then maybe you can change things, but I suspect that won't happen. I know it's all like Captain Hindsight here, yeah, and we say revoking his recruitment uh, kind of power is a sensible thing, but it was a sensible thing to do from the start, surely. Yeah. I mean, we've been seeing it for years, the club should have a line structure out, and if we go back to what, you... What major club would have signed Tyrell Malassia? Or, I mean, any, any of the signings. He was Anthony, going to Leon, and also, if he played well against Ajax, he would have played well against Anthony. Now, as many left-backs have shown, that is not difficult to do. So, in terms of your due diligence, your recruitment, who... the profile of player you go for that just didn't make sense I mean Ten Hag's been a kid in the sweet shop he's went I want this 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 and they've given him everything they give him the Mars bar the Milky Way and it's ended in a disaster he's thrown it but, all but were they were they produced in the Netherlands those those <laughs> oh come on I couldn't produce some uh, Netherlands confectionery I'm not that good if you've got those nice waffles haven't you that they do in the Netherlands they did it when uh, Ten Hag was unveiled as well do you remember the Heinekens and the, the waffles that now seems like a long when long time that? ago it's first press conference they put on Waffles and Heineken at United at Old Trafford. Come on, you must remember that. What? Do you not remember that? That is a, that's, like that's a, that's a factual, that. it's a factual fact. What, he's unveiling? Yeah, at his, at his first press conference. Maybe yeah, I went unveiled. to it. Yeah, 100%. Heineken and anyone listening to this will know that and I'll, uh, I'll show you after. You, you would have wrote it it's when you were his first Manchester United press yeah. conference? in May 2022. Have you made this up? I, I, I swear to God, I swear to God. We'll move on anyways. But it was in the morning. If they're serving lager you know what? in the morning. Because we're about that's... to go to a part. I'll get it up in between the next part. But before that, Fulham, Copenhagen, Luton, before the international break. I said before, I think he'll survive before the international break. If he loses against Fulham... I, I hope mean... he does because I've got a week off in <laughs> But in I mean, November. he should, shouldn't he? He should. I've no faith, I've no confidence they'll win either of these away games. I mean, this is the 
dreadful position they're in. They've they've been really poor at Old Trafford this season. You think getting away from Old Trafford is not a bad thing. Five of their next six games are away from home. But their away record under Ten Hag has been really poor as well. Uh, they, they won eight away games in the league last season. It's been two away wins so far this season. Uh, we've, we've seen some real horror shows in atmospheric to hostile grounds. And they've got, you know, as I said, they've got Copenhagen atmospheric ground, the Parkin Stadium. After the November internationals, it's a... It's that could be a horror trilogy, Goodison, Istanbul. So we'll come on to that in the second part, because I mean, through the third. But the saving grace, you would think, is is Luton. But if they somehow, if they were to somehow lose that, then I'm not sure there's any coming back. Luton would be the equivalent of Watford, wouldn't it, for Solskjaer? Yeah, but I mean, at least Watford have been in the <laughs> Premier League a <laughs> few times in in recent years, and the, the the ground isn't, you know, like like. I haven't been to Kenilworth Road. It makes Fratton Park look modern and, uh, yeah. Before we leave then, just for the next part, Tyrone Marshall, our good colleague, 23rd of May, 2022. The tweet is sent at 11.31. Dutch waffles and bottles of Heineken in the Old Trafford press room. Eric Ten Hag is already having a positive impact. I can't even remember that. That's, I was, that's I was a resounding clearly, victory for me was, of you, Sam. Yeah, Robert. yeah, that is. I, I was clearly so fixated on my piece and my, my stories that, yeah, I can't so remember. Basically, calling time. I'd like to think I have, I'd, I'd like to think I have a good memory as well, but I've, I think I, me- I, th- I remember the bacon sandwiches, but that's that's about it. Yeah. Not very Dutch the bacon sandwiches, mind. No, 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 no. <laughs> that that's more of a, a British delicacy. I think it's safe to say. Uh, that's it for part two. We'll be back in a moment for part three. Whether it's the legendary lionesses, grassroots, or expert analysis of the women's leagues. Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay. And so are we. Welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, before we go any further, just a usual shout out to the Women's Football magazine that Rich are doing. So... If that is your cup of tea, head across to the website. Uh, some good content there, some interviews, etc., and analysis of the women's game. But back to United, Samuel. Uh, Casemiro was injured at half-time, as you said. Varane, uh, his absence was explained because he was ill. Well, we just discussed that earlier as well, the potential of maybe some unrest and uh, speculation. There's an interesting story from Mark Kleiman from Sky News who broke the story about the strategic review. Uh, he's, he's written that Jim Ratcliffe is to commit $300 million from his multi-billion pound fortune to Manchester United Football Club's ageing infrastructure as part of a deal to acquire a 25% stake that will be unveiled this month. So that's just breaking as we've... Yeah, I mean, Mark Kleiman has been... He, he got the, the story with... Uh, as I said, this, he revealed that the strategic review was coming, that United were going to be for sale. So and that's a, that's he's the city editor of the of Sky News. That's a hugely positive update because in the last two weeks, we just said on, on Monday, it had gone a bit quiet and that was a bit concerning. Um, the club needs us really do need Ratcliffe coming in and having a positive impact on it. It needs to happen sooner rather than later. And an obvious thing to point out is, of course, you've got the January transfer window opening in in, in under two months now and you've got to be prepared for it well well before then as well and looking at United State why shouldn't they be in the market for players why shouldn't they be trying to to improve the squad why shouldn't they be trying to to get rid of players as well that that shouldn't be um shouldn't be ignored so 
you know, there's nothing official from United at, at, at the moment. As of course, you know, they're very sensitive about the, the, the stock exchange fluctuating and having an you know, effect in that. So, uh, yeah, but that's that's come through from from Mark Kleiman. That was just my. Uh, Should we go back to go back to Fulham then? I mean, because we've got a game yes. tomorrow afternoon, twelve thirty kickoff, uh, Craven Cottage. Changes wise, you, you can't have Anthony Martial starting again. I'd argue you can't have Anthony starting again. I'd probably play Mount on the right, obviously Hoyland down the middle, and I think Rashford has to come back into the team, doesn't he? Although he doesn't deserve to. Um, I, 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 I don't mean, think Ganacho particularly any Unfortunately for him, he's he's he didn't cut it again as a starter the other night. I mean that's the so. problem with Rashford. We're, we're saying look, let's drop him, but I don't particularly think Ganacho was ready to start and have such a meaningful impact. I mean we're seeing. That's been his biggest criticism or area for improvement, hasn't it, Ganacho? He just yeah. he's not done it from the start of games. No, he hasn't. He didn't really against Crystal Palace in the League Cup. He scored, which was clearly a positive, but I think his overall performance was uh, was was unmemorable, un to, to put it politely. He, he is still raw. He was pretty cheaply robbed of the ball by Livramento for the goal the other night, although I, I don't think he'd have thought in his wildest uh, It's still could have been stopped uh, from the, the, there. That would lead yeah, to a goal yeah. and Livermento would actually claim the assist as well, given how far he had to run. But that's the problem at the moment. There's so many positions where it's one in, it's one out. Both of them are playing poorly. Uh, Rushford can't be relied on at the moment. I, I, part of me would be tempted to just stick with Garnacho and just you know lay down the gauntlet to him and say, look, go, go and you know, prove everyone wrong and show that you can do it as a starter, do it at the ground where you got that, that late winner last season, but do it from the start, don't do it off the bench this time. Um, let's, let's give him some backing because he's, he's not had enough starts this season. But as, as you said, I, I suspect it will be Rashford back in. Um, but even midfield, I mean, I suppose, what's it going to be? Amrabat and McTominay, probably? It's such a mess because it's just not settled. And that it? was the midfield. Tenor keeps banging on about the word routines. He keeps seeing the routines on there. And I kind of, I do emphasise with him a bit because he, last season, there was such a settled team, same players. Yeah. Um, and that midfield this, this time around, it's just, I mean, it, it, has there been the same free for a sustained amount of games that's been effective? There's definitely not been. No. We, I, I said on, on Monday, Copy Mane has got to come in the team sooner rather than later, and I was disappointed that he was playing for the the under twenty ones on on Tuesday night. I completely understand it. He's been out for a long time. They're trying to get him um, some some semi meaningful minutes in the youth league in the EFL Trophy, which are certainly more competitive than playing in. I was speaking the to someone after, league. after the game. Obviously, I was down at Salford, and they said that someone from United they said yeah. they're trying to build up his minutes, and yeah. they would have thought. Probably not the most sensible thing to throw him into that game um, after injury. That's what they thought. Yeah, I'd have, <laughs> I'd have thrown him in just just of how bad badly it's going. I mean, he resumed. I think he started team training. It must have been four four or five weeks ago now. So I get it's patience as well, and you don't want to risk a setback. And United have had so many injury issues this season that clearly some players have been rushed back. I mean, Martinez definitely was. Maybe Casemiro was as well um, it doesn't help that United are very opaque with with injury news they don't tell us what the injury um, players get now so there's there's an element of trying to, to dig a little bit more I mean you you did that line on Tyrone Malassia which as, as far as injury news team news goes was was very standout because it was very specific and United don't offer that that specificity anymore 
in relation to team news, which I don't think helps matters in terms of the communication. Essentially, what they're telling us is what they're telling the supporters. It makes as well. it into a bigger deal as well, doesn't it? That's the thing. Then it actually yeah. is. I mean, if, for example, Molassa, he had surgery. If they just said he had surgery, yeah. there would be no more questions after that. You'd wait until he comes back and it would be a normal process. Yeah, and it was, it was clear. I mean, Luke Shaw was hamstring tear, but it was clear that because they wanted to sign a left back, that it was a bad injury. You know, just tell us that it's rather than us finding it out because eventually someone does find out these things as well. Um, that's what journalists do. So in terms of the the, the team, I, mean, I think whatever team Ten Hag picks, there are going to be some supporters who will sigh at some of the players who are who are selected because of the way it's going at the moment. He he, he changed it a bit in midweek. He didn't change it as as constructively as I thought he should have done, and they end up losing again and then it's a case of falling back on the players who were part of the, the derby defeat. I, I think that would be quite quite hackneyed, really. I don't think he needs to necessarily just revert to that. But there are certain players who, who just cannot start. I mean, Dallo, it's fair to say he won't start after what happened in the week. Um, I'm sure by the time a lot of people listen to this, there'll be some clarity on whether Rafael Varane travels. Hopefully, uh, later on, we'll have have the squad news as well there's a chance of that which isn't as um having having Varane and Wan-Bissaka playing together is going to be huge because it's half of the first choice defense which unfortunately haven't played together this season yeah and and in fairness like I mean Ten Hag isn't seeking excuses either but when you take Martinez and Shaw out of the team it is going to have an impact uh yeah a bad impact as well because not only are they two very good defenders but they're very they're quite courageous with the ball. They will step out of defence with the ball. Marseille's line-breaking passes were really effective last season. Shaw had a really good season last season. You'd have probably said those two were among the top six performers. I'd have said for United last season, they were they were both excellent. So that has had a detrimental impact on, on the, on the defence and um, the, the alternatives are not great, even though Maguire's had a little bit of form prior to the derby uh, but it's you're probably looking at a defence of if, if Varane is fit it'll be Varane with Maguire and Reguilon and, and Wan-Bissaka as the four backs but the front six it's it's almost like a tombola really in terms of who, who gets pit Hoyland's a certainty Fernandez is a certainty Rashford is probably a certainty um, so midfield the, the other, three, it's the it's other three areas is it McTominay Amrabat and, and Fernandez then I mean doesn't inspire confidence, does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And look, Fulham haven't had a particularly. They've not. They've not had a good start to the season. Um, they were a lot better this time last season, back in the Premier League. Seems like they turned the page. On but they had. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't. I didn't watch their defeat to Tottenham, but someone said they they played reasonably in that game and they could take something from it. And their three games against United last season. I know the last one, final day of the season, and it was you know very relaxed atmosphere, not a lot of riding on it, but. The game at Craven Cottage, United needed an added time um, goal to win that. At Old Trafford in the FA Cup, Fulham were the better team for 70 minutes until they imploded with the with the uh, William handball on the line and their three red cards in in probably as as many minutes. So uh, and, and United ended up winning against nine nine men, as Marco Silva was the, the third one to be sent off. So it it's not going to be easy for United. It's never easy. Their their wins this season bar that League Cup game they've all been by the odd goal if they do get a win tomorrow I'll, I'll be 
I'll be pleasantly surprised if if it's by more than than one goal. I think it's going to be a very testing game, and it's a you know going to Graven Cottage. They'll have brilliant back in United. It's a great away end at the Putney Road end, and it's it's a, it's a brilliant ground as well to go to. It's certainly not an intimidating ground either. So this is very much the calm before the storm of of Copenhagen, Goodison, Istanbul, and, and Newcastle. A win would be huge, wouldn't it? If they can get an away win after that mess of a week. To go into that Copenhagen away game, it yeah, huge. it, it really, really would. would. It, it could, you know, Dallow claimed the Brentford game was a turning point about half an hour after it, and I thought you can't say that just yet. A win at Fulham, you, again, nobody would be saying it's a turning point. You've got to back it up. But going into next week with with two again two big games. I mean, it's big games every week. But it would it would feel huge if if they were to win. So I mean, the frustrating thing is we're still. We have these quote-unquote turning points, and we're still waiting for them to kick on, and they just keep on regressing on. That's the thing. Yeah. So, uh, a bit of a mess at the moment. But thank you very much for your time. Sam. Thank you, Stephen. Thank and you. thanks, to listeners, as usual. Head across and check out our social channels: YouTube, TikTok, as well, apparently, um, etc. And enjoy your weekend. Take care.